welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on September 19th, Lord's Day Service. Leviticus 1, we'll read verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that access has been provided into your presence. As we now gain a vision of what you have called your people to do in the old covenant, reveal to us the privileges that we have in the new covenant. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, I introduced the book of Leviticus as one that showed the path back to God. When Adam fell, he was removed from God's presence. The door of fellowship to Yahweh was closed. From that point, though, God promised that another way would be provided. He did not leave his children alone. He said, I will point you, I will give you a way. Now, we are accustomed when we approach a text like Genesis 3.15, famous passage where he talks about the, the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. We jump immediately from Genesis 3.15 straight to Christ because that's our privilege. We live in the new covenant. But what about all those people who didn't live in the new covenant? What are they to do? They just say, boy, we really, are, we really wish that this would hurry up and we could have the Savior who would come. Well, no, they were not left isolated. They were given a path as well. And the path they had, we find in God's law. This, this series of books that are often neglected because they are granted very dense to us. We're not accustomed to the process of butchering animals. We don't even like visiting a meatpacking plant, much less actually observing, thinking about what they had to do reg on a regular basis back then. The tabernacle was essentially something like a butchering plant because it happened on a daily basis. 
But the book of Leviticus shows the way for man to return to God, at least temporarily. The tabernacle is a moving, uh, is a movable oasis. In the wilderness, it was a miniature Eden, a place of flourishing in the midst of a vast wilderness. It had an altar, a laver of water, and a tent, the tent of meeting. Within this tent, there were articles of great beauty, of gold, of oil. There was a, it was a place of nourishment. There was always bread here. And most of all, it contained the Ark of the Covenant, the place that symbolized the presence of God. Everything that came inside this fence that was, you know, the, 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 not just the tent itself, but inside what's called the door of the tabernacle, it was set apart. Anything that came inside had to be holy. That is, it was set apart specifically to God. It was not common. So th there are a couple of different distinctions in, in Leviticus we should consider. One, we're, we're accustomed to clean versus unclean. All right? We'll, we'll talk about this when we get into later chapters of Leviticus. There are clean animals. There are unclean animals. If you touch something that was dead, you were unclean. So, so there's that distinction. But another distinction that's made is the, the distinction between what is common and what is holy. What is common are, are things that are just involved in everyday life. But the things that are holy, they've had... They've been ritually washed. They are purified and they are set apart for the use of God in service to Him. Those are holy things. So there were specific rituals that were involved in making something holy. Including, not just for the articles within the tabernacle itself... Not just for the labor and the altar and the tent and things like that. There were even rituals for the priest because the priests were set apart to God's service. They had to have a certain washing and cleansing. They had to be sprinkled themselves in order to come into the tabernacle. They had to be set apart for God's use. This was holy ground. And certain rules applied here that didn't apply anywhere else. But still, with all of this knowledge, God still called. We read in the very first verse, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. Previously, where had God spoken to Moses? From the mount. The tabernacle is a new mountain of God. It is a place where even though it may be geographically level with everywhere else, it wasn't level in the sight of God and in the sight of God's people. It was a place that you, to which you would ascend. So God opened a way. He called to Moses and, and his first words are, Speak to the children of Israel and say, when you bring an offering to the Lord, you bring an offering of livestock. So the first words of God to Moses from the tabernacle itself 
are telling Moses how to bring God's people into God's presence. God is calling his people to himself. Before that time, but before you read this in Leviticus, you do not see God calling his people to come to him individually. You don't find it. This is a voluntary offering. It's one that you don't have to make it, but you can make it. You can now come to God. Any Israelite could come into God's presence now. So a new way was here, but you had to bring an offering. You couldn't just walk in. We're all accustomed to, to, to churches that are very lax. Lax in many ways. But, but we commonly hear, come however you want to come because God doesn't care. I have news for you. He does care, and He's always cared. Only those who are holy, who are set apart, can come into His presence. Now, we'll talk about what that means, okay? But before you could come, before an Israelite could come to God, you had to bring an offering. So this morning, we will look at the first of five offerings mentioned in Leviticus 1 through 6. And this first offering is called the whole burnt offering, or also it's known as the ascension offering because it was all of it was burned, all the animal, every part except the refuse. Every part of the animal was burned. So that's the whole part. And then it, when it would burn, it would ascend as smoke up to God. Therefore, the ascension offering. So we see this is said three times. We did not read the entire chapter, but three times we're told within this first chapter of Leviticus that it is a sweet smell. It is a wonderful aroma. He calls it a sweet aroma to the Lord in verse 9 and again in verse 13 and then again in verse 17. We're told that, that this offering is it, it's sweet. It is a pleasing aroma to him. All of these offerings are given as a way, again, for us to approach God's territory. The purpose of this offering was to be an atonement. Verse 4, he says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Now, we're probably accustomed to that word atonement. We've most likely heard it in reference to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, which we will spend uh, plenty of time talking about the Day of Atonement when that comes. But I have to stop here because if you've heard the term atonement, you're probably thinking of it like most of us were taught to think whenever we hear atonement, our mind immediately goes to Jesus. And that's right, because He, as we heard in Sunday school today, in the, even in the Old Covenant, Jesus taught us what it looks like. Even in the Old Testament, He was teaching about how these things point to Him. But the word atonement in Hebrew is very... It's loaded. It's like the word love in English. 
Love can range from appreciation of something to admiration of something all the way to romantic passion. Have you ever thought about that? We talk about all kinds of things that we love. It can, love can be applied to anyone from your spouse to anything, like a good donut. Imagine what people in other countries, when they hear our word love and, and they hear a man say, I love that donut. And five minutes ago, he said, I love my wife. And their minds are blown now because you're equating your spouse with this piece of food. And what kind of sick person are you? But we know what we mean. We know that there's a difference. C.S. Lewis has an entire book called The Four Loves in which he, de he describes different types of love and their meaning in, in ancient and medieval times. Well, atonement is the same way. It might make us think automatically of a covering for sin, but even here we get ahead of ourselves. The word atonement most often in Hebrew actually means ransom. As in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, it's translated that way. Uh, he says, when you number the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. Then thou number, when thou number them, that there be no plague among them. So the word in Hebrew for ransom in Exodus 30, verse 12 is translated in Leviticus 1, atonement. Why do I say that? Because we think of atonement as just being one thing in place of another, one person in place of another. We, we run to Jesus thinking that that's the, you know, Jesus on the cross. That has to be what, what he's talking about. But for the Israelite, they didn't know about Jesus yet. So, so what does it mean to them? Well, they were used to a, a society in which you didn't go. They did know this. You don't touch God's holy mountain. They knew that. The Levites were all around. They would stand guard. We read in Numbers 1, the Levites would actually stand guard and they would kill the, the one who would try to approach the tabernacle without a righteous purpose. So imagine if we had guards all around the church building with automatic weapons checking everyone's intentions before they came. That is the tabernacle. Talk about dampening the attendance. Okay? They were dampening the attendance to the tabernacle. But there was a reason here. There had, you had to have a purpose. You had to come humbly before the Lord. So, so we, we combine the word offering. The, the word offering means gift. The word atonement means a ransom. When you put these things together, what this burnt offering is, is just, it, it's a gift that people bring to God that allows them to come into His presence. It's a gift people bring to God to, that allows you to come before Him. So this offering was not specifically for sin. That's found later. That's one of the sacrifices later on in Leviticus that we'll read about. It's a gift from a desire that you want to come into God's presence. And you know that you can't just waltz up there and say, I want 
to come before Yahweh. Because we know that because God is holy, bad things happen to people who just treat what is holy as being common. Remember what happened to those who would just Uzzah when he touched the ark. He died immediately. When you want to come onto holy ground, that is the door of the tabernacle, you had to come with a ransom. This was a sign for Israel that, I mean, that they were honoring God. You, maybe you wanted to come because you had a sick child and you wanted to speak to God. You wanted to pray. Now, could they pray anywhere? Yes. But there, there was something special about coming to God where you know the ark, where you know God's presence is, where the glory cloud of God was. They, that's where they wanted to come. They wanted to be in close proximity to where God's almighty presence dwelt. Maybe you wanted to come for Thanksgiving. You were glad that he had done something for you. You'd had a, success, a successful birth of a child or something like that. So you would come and you would bring, again, this offering. So coming was a sign of piety and a sign of humility. So the purpose of the sacrifice was atonement, or it was ransom. But the practice of the sacrifice, and this is, this is somewhat involved. We, we, we will not discuss all the details of this sacrifice today. But I do want to point to this. The animal had to be whole. It was unblemished. It had to be an animal that was of great value. The offering that you bring must cost you something. The priest, when you would bring the animal to the door of the tabernacle, the priest would inspect the animal. The priest would look at the animal to see if it was diseased, if it was blind, if it had some problem, because the priest would say, I mean, if you bring some half-dead creature up here, is God going to be pleased with that? The priest would send you away. No, he's not pleased with that. This had to cost you something. This is not just you walking up there with your cow who's been, you know, who's been around the wilderness a few times himself, and you're saying, all right, he's going to die anyway. This is... Some, this is an animal that you really wanted to keep. But because you honor God and you, you want to approach God, you bring your best. We see in Malachi 1 that Yahweh was angry with His people because He said they were bringing sick, diseased, and blind animals that would soon die. And, and He told them, this is unacceptable. You can't do this. So he was angry at their offerings. I have a question for you. Are you accustomed to thinking of Almighty God in these ways? Because we are, very, we are accustomed to hearing that He just takes us however. And on one hand, yes, it is true, and, and there, there's a reason that, he, that we can come to Him 
as we are, but He doesn't leave us like that. But we often think this way because we don't have an appreciation of God's holiness. We don't appreciate His might and His power. Remember Job in Job 38? Preached on that a few weeks back. It said that God came and spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. So Job is there and a tornado comes to him and is before him, perhaps even engulfs him and is surrounding him, and he speaks to Job in that. We would not have a whole lot of confidence if you're speaking to a great tornado that engulfs you, you would not say, look, take me as I am or else. No. We would be greatly, deathly afraid. So God demands the best from His people. And yes, it is possible that He would not accept an ascension offering. We read examples of this. Jeremiah 14, verse 12 says, When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering and oblation, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. So God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm not going to take your burnt offerings anymore. Forget it. I'm not listening. Amos chapter 5, verse 22. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Saying, I'm not taking these. You say, wow, this is, this is not how I was brought up to think. Why would he reject them? You have to remember who he's talking to. In these passages, in Jeremiah and in Amos and then earlier in Malachi, he's speaking to people who were rebellious. They were bringing burnt offerings, but the offerings were not accepted. So I, here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to say to, or to think that God was merely evaluating just an animal. Because we all know those, and maybe some of you, who are overly scrupulous. And I can guarantee you there would be people back in Israel who would do the same thing. When dad says, I'm going to go, I'm going to make a sacrifice today. And he tells his son, go find the best bull. So the son goes out and he finds one and the dad's just analyzing everything about this bull. He's, he's thinking, all right, is anything, is there any possible blemish that I'm missing? Up, that tail may not have grown out just right. Is that little sore, you know, that, that this mite was on, is that too much? There are, there are those who are like that. But this is, God is not evaluating the animal. This is not a divine game of gotcha where he's trying, where he is looking for a way and for a reason to reject the sacrifice. That is not the God we serve. As Pastor Wilson, who was here last week and preached for us, as he has said often, God is perfect. But thankfully, he is not a perfectionist. 
Because we're because we come to him, I'll go ahead and say it now through the blood of Christ. We do not have to over analyze and evaluate. But the people that were rejected are those who were not bringing the sacrifice with the right heart. Yes, there are some people who simply, they were covenant members, but they did not believe. They didn't truly believe in their heart that God was who he said he was. And so, and we all know that there are certain acts of piety that are expected. Well, there were Jews, there were Hebrews who would bring animals for a burnt offering, but they were no more believers than the pagans. They would just do it because that's what everybody does. That's what good Hebrews do. We bring an animal. And you can bet that there would be people who would probably talk about the sacrifices that other people would bring. Gossip is not a new thing either. All these things were going on back then. The same sins afflict us today as we're afflicting them. But there were some who were, as we heard earlier today in the exhortation, they were hypocrites. They would bring big, fat, lovely-looking animals while their hearts were full of putrid sin. They knew what looked good. And so they would bring the best outwardly while inwardly their heart was full of malice. And that's why he would say through Amos, I will not accept even the peace offerings of your fat beasts. That means of the best looking. I'm not going to take them. That's hypocrisy. God's acceptance of the sacrifice was not based on the animal alone. It was based on the heart of the one offering. He talks about this in Psalm 40. Verses 6 through 8. He says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. What is he saying when he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire? He's not saying that the offering doesn't matter. Because that's how they would come to God. So he's not saying it doesn't matter. It does. But the delight in coming to God is what should motivate our outward actions. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you come to church? Why do you worship? Why do you walk in good action? Why, 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 Why do you do good things? Is it simply because it's what other people want? Is it because you know this is the way to get business contacts? This is the way that I'm going to get my spouse to stop bothering me. This is the way that I can get my kids to act the way I want them to. This is the, all of these reasons. That's not why we do good. It begins with a heart of delight. Now, I'm going to stop here. Every one of us in this room have at some time or another gone to church when we did not feel like it. For some of you, that's this morning. 
You did not feel like it. And the rain was just another reason to not come. We all have times like this when we do not feel like it. So he's, David is not saying that if you do something in faith, even though you don't feel like it, and well, then you don't have delight. No, that's not it at all. Delight is acting in faith, trusting that what God has said is true. And also trusting that if you don't have the feeling, that the feeling in time will come. That's delight. Because there are times that the feelings just aren't there. And I've heard many times from people, well, I just didn't feel like doing it, and I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I didn't. I knew that if I came to church, it would have been with a bad attitude, so I just stayed home for the eighth week in a row. That's wrong. That's not an excuse. So the point is not that we have to always feel like obeying. But we should do what we do in faith. Jesus picked this same idea up in Mark chapter 12. When Jesus was asked by one of the scribes, what is the greatest commandment? We know what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the scribe said in Mark 12, 33, that these two commandments were greater than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. I always thought that that was Jesus who said that. And I won't, well, I guess I will confess to you. I was corrected on that this week when I was studying that passage. Because I had it in my mind, Jesus said this. No, he didn't. It was a scribe who said it. That loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor is greater than all sacrifices. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. Jesus commends what he said. So it begins with our heart, a heart of love for God, a heart of love for our neighbors. We all know the temptation to do religious things in front of others, just as Israel did. But the important thing in the old and the new covenants was what is that your worship would begin with a submissive heart. The cleanliness, the the, the purity of the animal represented what the individual should look like that is free from blemishes when we come before God. You see, even for the Hebrews, this sacrificial system, the law, taught them both who God is and who we are. This is theology. This is how God taught His people theology. They were taught that God is holy. And there must be a ransom given before they can come into His presence. And that is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We no longer, when we come to God, we no longer bring a sacrifice. Because the perfect, unblemished Lamb was sacrificed for us. So we don't have to bring anything when we come to Him because the Lamb has already come. He's already been brought. And He gave Himself 
for us. He was sacrificed. He is both the priest and the lamb. So you have direct and free access to God at all times because Jesus is your ransom. He is the one who came and he has sanctified you that you may go before God. But it doesn't stop there. Because not only can you go to God, but the Apostle Paul transforms this language of sacrifice from the animal to the worshiper in Romans 12. We know Romans 12.1, very commonly taught, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the language of a whole burnt offering. He calls us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Look at the Old Covenant language that's used. He says, present, that is to give, to offer yourself. A sacrifice as one who is holy, that is belonging to God, set apart for God's purpose, and acceptable. That means that God accepts the sacrifice. All that language is straight out of Leviticus 1. Now, when you come to God today, you, 20, 2021, every part of you belongs to Him. We are whole, burnt offerings. Everything. He demands all of you. There's not one part that's left out. Well, I say there's not one part. There is actually. You remember what the priest would do? The one who's bringing the offering would cut up the animal, would butcher the animal. What is the one thing that would be removed? The excrement. Internally, the animal would be cleansed before offered as a sacrifice. He says you shall wash the entrails. You see, the animal was purged internally. And so, my friends, are we. Before we come to God as a living sacrifice, we are cleansed through the work of Christ. We are cleansed. He removes our sin from us. He purges us just as the animal was purged. And then we are consumed by the holy fire, by the spirit of Pentecost, the same spirit who indwelt the followers 2,000 years ago and tongues of fire were on their heads. That same spirit consumes you. The same spirit dwells within you. You are a living sacrifice. So we are told, give ourselves, give yourself to God as a living sacrifice and don't hold anything back. We ascend to God. We are consumed by Him. Our God is a consuming fire. We ascend to Him and He recreates us. He conforms us to His use. 
When we present ourselves to Him in this way, we are a pleasing aroma. When we give ourselves in worship to God, when we give ourselves in prayer, when we love Him, and when we love our neighbors, we are presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. So when you come across someone who makes you angry, when you come across someone who does something to you that is wrong, when you are forced into a situation where you don't feel like showing love, but you know that you are supposed to, when you give yourself wholly to doing what God has told you to do, you are presenting your body to God as a living sacrifice. And you are being transformed. We all would love the feeling of being transformed. We all want to feel like great things are going on inside. We all like those feelings, but sometimes the feelings don't come. And that's when it is needed the most. When we don't feel like doing what he says, yet we do it in faith regardless. We are presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. So we no longer bring a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. Living sacrifices. And as you present your bodies to Him, He will continue transforming you until the last day when you will, at the appointed time, be made like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank You for the promises of Your Word. I pray that we would indeed present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. That we would honor you despite our feelings. And I pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed K-I-R-K dot com.